Hey, you're listening to Frequency. This is Josh Blakesley with the Josh Blakesley Band. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. That's Frequency.fm. It's been a while since we've been together, but we do have Joe Brookhouse and Dan Thompson together talking. It's been a while. How are you, Joe? Good, good. Uh, at this rate, we're, we're at once a month. We did January. We did an episode in January. Yeah, I suppose you're right. And actually, but, we're both talking in decent microphones for a change. I, I, it's, I know. We're really moving up in the world. We're still like holed up in weird rooms in our houses covered with clothes, but... Um, well, I mean, you should be covered with clothes, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this is an audio podcast, so we're okay there. But uh, mm-hmm. I actually have a, a gigantic queen-size mattress against the wall behind me because the room I have has reflections in it, and I think it helps. Um, and I do have to say, Joe, thank you for sending me the cool Monoprice microphone. It is awesome. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, and yeah, of course, selfishly, when it showed up here, because I had it shipped here, you know, because you do that before you ship things to Canada. Um, I I had my um, co- a day or two of coveting um, <laughs> where I'm like, oh, man, this is a beautiful microphone. Of course, now that we're talking about it, you're going to have to take a photo and actually we'll have to put it in the post. But yes, um, it is. A, it's just a beautiful microphone. And uh, the sound is great. I think the sound is great. And uh and then the microphone I'm using, you know, is uh, one that I picked up from uh, the guys at uh, Heartbeat Percussion, who we've mentioned in the past. They've been friends, and they uh, they sell Superlux uh, microphones. And so I got the Superlux microphone, and, and I love it. But at first I hated it because it turned out that I had, uh, first of all, I had the microphone turned the wrong direction, <laughs> um, which <laughs> is not good. They don't and have then, a, like this end up thing on it? Um, well, they have controls on both sides. So, you know, um, cause it's a figure eight, not a fig, it's not a figure eight. It's a cardioid for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about. Then I'm sorry for putting you to sleep, but <laughs> now it's cause it's, uh, cause it's got the cardioid. I had the, it pointed the, the, the wrong direction. So, I, um, so it was just picking up, picking up my voice off of the reflections, mm-hmm. which is not good. And then I, I had the high pass filter on another thing that I didn't know what was two years ago. Um, I had it, the high pass filter on and it just was bad for whatever right. reason. I mean, I, it wasn't good, but <laughs> now I'm, I'm very happy with it. So folks, we're really sorry for boring you, but, um, when tech people, like audio tech geeks like us get new toys, it's really all we want to talk about. So there you go. Well, and the irony of this conversation is two years ago. You didn't do any of this. You just handed it off to me, and I messed around with it thinking I'm awesome. And now you actually do more audio work than I do. That's the extreme uh, opposite of what we did two, three years ago. Well, it's just out of sheer desperation, man. (laughs) (laughs) So for for the record, folks, uh, Joe actually is a – I'm going to use the term professional even though he wouldn't. But um, when you're getting paid to do voiceover work, you're a professional, and he does. Um, not related to frequency because we are a charity, but he does feed into it. Um, but uh, yeah, he's done a number of different um, what audio books and um, promo stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've done six audio books, and none of which that I would ever tell you about. I've done some commercial voiceover stuff. I've been really fortunate to get some opportunities there. 
which um, just goes right into frequency, and that allows us to take care of things like most recently the things that I've been excited about is um, we have our friend Amy Savin, mm-hmm. who we interviewed not too long ago, and um, and our friend Krista Wells, and we connected those two. Um, Krista is uh, started kind of a, an artist mentoring program, and we wanted to get Amy connected with Krista, so we paid for a, a, a mentoring session. Uh, that was, a, I think, a blessing. Not it was a blessing to them, at least according to what they said. But it was a blessing to you and me mm-hmm. to know that we're doing what we really want to do in terms of helping artists. And uh, the voiceover work gives us that opportunity, and as well as contributions that we've received from other folks yeah. uh, as gifts, we've been able to turn that back around to to uh, toward artists. So it's I don't know it's pretty cool. But thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's been a busy time for us recently. And um, the benefit of that will show up on the podcast because um, the news that came out recently, which we shared and sort of went viral in a sense um, on our feed was the news that Petra and Whiteheart are joining force forces. Yeah, that that, uh, that kind of came out of nowhere for us. And um, well, OK, I need to be honest, because I didn't listen to either of those bands. I, I mean, I, I know I know their names. And uh, it happens that our, our friend uh, Jim Gray, who's a contributor and part of the team, um, gave me a call, uh, which he does every once in a while. He's a phone guy. And uh, he's like, yeah, uh, I just got this news that John Schlitt and I can't remember the other guy's name because I suck. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, those guys are kind of forming this Christian, you know, super band thing, and, and you should share the news. And so, well, all right. And uh, apparently, there's just a lot of people out there that uh, have a lot of affection for both of those bands. And the whole idea of these guys getting together is kind of a once in a lifetime thing, like the Eagles coming back together. Well, it was um, John Schlitt, the lead singer of Petra, and Billy Smiley, guitarist, singer, and founding member of Whiteheart. Um, so on our on our post, which was the official press release, are excited to announce a new album and worldwide tour for this year, and uh, so they'll be at festivals, theme parks, fairs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, under the name of the Union of Sinners and Saints, which will feature the members from uh, two of the best-selling Christian rock bands of all time. Joe, come on. The best-selling rock bands of all time. <laughs> Speaking of music genres. Um, as we get into the episode today, um, we had the unique opportunity to talk uh, with Jody McBrayer uh, from Avalon. And Avalon was like a the super pop band of the 90s going into 2000s. And uh, if you listen to Christian radio at any time during those time frames, I mean, they, they had music out, I think, every year and a half, Jody said in the interview. Um, they were just pumping out music like crazy. And not only that, but they were on compilation CDs and they had dance remixes of their stuff. I mean, um, they they were uber popular. Um, but the interesting thing about the interview, which we're going to share uh, shortly, is the pitfalls and the successes that all come from the Christian music industry and the music industry in general. Yeah, some great perspective. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've only listened to the first half of the interview, which is actually what we're sharing today. And this will be part one, and we'll share some more uh, in a subsequent uh, episode. But, um, man, he's he's just open, he's honest, and his perspective is a, truly a gift to artists. And really a gift to you if you're just a, con, you know, a consumer of art, 
because you could, I think you will understand more what it means to be an artist and to give of yourself and, and what a toll that takes on you. I think it's some great insight. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go right to the interview and pick it up where uh, I got on uh, a Skype call while he was driving home and he was hands-free um, while he was driving his daughter home from school uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey everybody, it's Dan Thompson from Frequency, and I'm joined today by Jody McBrayer. How are you, Jody? I'm well, thank you. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Nicely done. Awesome, awesome. (laughs) So, for context here, you're actually driving home after picking your daughter up from school. I am. So I'm I'm catching you in motion, but um, I do appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. My pleasure. And um, what triggered this was me seeing your latest release... I mean, obviously, it's an awesome thing when you get to release new music. Um, but yeah. I know you from way back. <laughs> way back. And I'm sure a lot of people want to ask you questions about Avalon because, I mean, that was um, a big portion of your, your musical career. Um, but um, it's not all rosy, I guess you could say, <laughs> in, in the music business. No, it's not. Well, I mean, life isn't all rosy. So, you know, you just, you throw into that all of the, all of the pratfalls and the, and the intricacies of the music industry. And it just, yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. And we can talk about that, but it definitely had its share of challenges too. Right. Right. So, I mean, Avalon was great. I mean, I remember early on when Avalon was introduced, um, it was actually when, I think it was when Michael W. Smith was bringing up a few artists, um, Avalon being one of them, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was Jennifer Knapp was another one, yeah, at the time, and um, another one. Oh, uh, Wiltshire was another band. Yeah, Wiltshire. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I remember being introduced to you guys early on, and it was sort of when you weren't quote unquote famous, um, <laughs> and then you t- you took off after that. I'm like, man, I met those guys. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now we're going way back in the '90s, man. So, <laughs> well, you know what's so funny is I don't even like it's when you're in the throes of it in the middle. I mean, it's been so long too. I mean, I, I left in uh, 2007, so mm. I mean, this will be my 10th year away, and um, I, it's I guess you know as far as Christian music was concerned, you know, I hate to use the word success, but we did have. A, a relative amount of success as far as Christian music was concerned. You just don't, I, I didn't think about it. You know, I was just sort of in like robot mode, you know, yeah. I was just doing it as it was coming and which is probably part of the problem. I wasn't thinking about it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so it is yeah. cool to look back on it now and, and for people like you to say, Hey, this was, this was really cool. And then you're kind of like, Oh man, maybe it was cool. <laughs> well, and I think at the time it, the sound that you guys had, it was positive. It was full of harmony um, the thing that stood out to me f- from your voice and you're sort of the lead voice in a lot of songs was just how high you could sing and sort of the depth of, of the harmonies. That's what I remember of Avalon is um, you were able to, to fill a song with it was more vocal led than it was musicianship, if you know what I mean. It was. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely a vocal group and um, I, I it was interesting. I've I've always had a high voice when I was younger. I. Um, I sang with a group called Truth before I came with Avalon, and Truth was like a, a touring um, 
kind of like ensemble had their own band their own set, you know all their own lights and sound and everything and we did like 220 dates a year wow and a lot of a lot of artists were in truth natalie grant was in truth all the four him guys mm-hmm. came out of the of the group truth and Jana long Jana potter who was in avalon with me she and i met in truth okay and so and that's we started avalon out of that group now was but that having, um the link to sorry, roger brayland yeah yeah oh, okay. roger brayland was the founder and the director of that group and okay. so um, he's sort of been like a father figure and a mentor to me for years, even after I left the group. And and I put him through the paces, boy. I mean, I, was, I didn't make life easy for him either. But um, I lost you. Let me see. Oh, I'm no. trying to go. You turned the video on. That's video. all. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do this. <laughs> that's okay. There you go. There we go. That's better. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, this Skype thing is new to me, especially on my phone, so I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, anyway, long story short, I, I always covered my voice. I always tried to, you know, I was always so afraid of sounding like a girl and, Mm. um, you know, I got picked on a little bit when I was younger, not so much in high school, but just for having such a high voice and my voice never really changed all that much. Right. Um, a little bit, but so yeah, it wasn't until I got into Avalon, especially into like the second, the second release when Brown Bannister started working with us as a producer, and Brown said to me, "Why do you why do you do that with your boy? You just gotta you gotta let it go. You gotta be who you are and sing the way God created you to sing." And yeah, and it was very freeing for me. That was that was a big part of what I learned while I was in Avalon. No, for that's, sure. And that's great advice. And I mean, you couldn't get a better person to tell you that. No, he was amazing. Yeah, he is and amazing. Still is. <laughs> now, now a little yeah. bit of a side story here because I know you you uh, do like a radio show podcasting thing called Backline. Mm-hmm. And he was on it. I actually listened to a bit of that. He was. Yeah. Um, I'm not. It's actually been on hiatus because I've been making a record and right. and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm also part of a trio called Kana's Voice. So mm. there's just a lot of other music stuff going on. Okay. Um, but but the podcast I did that for about a year, and Brown was one of my guests, and it was basically just. I knew so many people who were amazing musicians and singers that were background session singers in Los Angeles, you know, singing on, you know, film and movie scores, television shows, singing backup for amazing artists. And um, one day I was sitting at home. I I had the flu. And so I was sitting upstairs in our our little bonus room in the corner of a sectional because I when I get sick, I just kind of hibernate, you know, and um, I was going through Netflix looking for something to watch. And I saw the movie 20 Feet from Stardom, which is a documentary about it follows the the lives of these different backup singers and musicians. Okay. And it inspired me to do that, that podcast, um, backline to, to really highlight some of this talent that people, you know, they hear it, but they don't realize what they're hearing. They don't know who they're hearing. And so I wanted to bring those people to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And, and a lot of why we do what we do is to search out unique people that, um, either have been out of it for a while or and making a comeback or people who are just behind the scenes that no one ever gets to interact with. So I, sure, I yeah. definitely understand the motivation. Um, now, you being, you know, quote, unquote, out of it for a while, you know, doing your own thing, um, you did have one project um, a while back. I think there was another solo effort that you did as well, wasn't there? Yeah, when I was in Avalon, I did. Um, Avalon took uh, a year off from recording, which was a big deal for us because 
um, EMI Sparrow was our record label back when EMI still existed. Mm -hmm. And um, they had us making a new record just about every year and a half. It was, it was a machine. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. And so my father passed away in September of 2000. And after he passed away, uh, the group decided to sort of take a little hiatus from recording. And we even, even kind of slowed down on some of the dates that we were doing. Mm, yeah. um, Cause the year before we had done like 250 dates or something, it was nuts. Yeah. And so um, in that, in that little hiatus, I asked, I approached the record company, asked if they'd be okay for me to make a solo record. And they actually offered a solo deal to myself and to, to Jana. And okay. so Jana made one too. So I did that and that was in 2001, but I hadn't done anything since then. So this is my first effort. Yeah, and, and your dad was a Baptist minister, correct? <laughs> he was. He was a postmaster by trade. He worked for the U.S. Postal Service, but he was a Baptist pastor um, by calling. Okay. So, and obviously, um, that had an impact on you. Um, Huge, you know, yeah. And, it's, and it, um, dealing with loss at any level is bad. Uh, I understand. I lost a child. So to, uh. lo- to lose someone that's close to you, uh, father figure, child, whatever it is, affects people in different ways and of course it you, does you being an artist was was uh, the album your outlet or your voice for grief or was it to get past the grief uh, what did that look like for you you know i to be honest and i don't know maybe you're gonna first of all i i can't i'm sorry for your loss or that there's there's nothing that hurts more than loss but i just cannot imagine that yeah. you know losing a parent I keep doing I, my cheek keeps hitting this camera thing. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that was a little tension breaker there. Probably had to be done. <laughs> um, but you know, losing a parent, even though it's difficult, it is within the flow of how God intends things. But just losing a child feels it feels against nature, it, mm. and and I'm I just can't imagine. And I pray for you and sympathize with you on that. No, um, I appreciate that. My father was 56 when he passed away, so he was very very young. Um, and he didn't take care of himself. You know, he, um, had a lot of things wrong with him. One of which was, you know, high blood pressure, heart, heart condition, uh, diabetes, arthritis. I mean, just everything. It was really in bad shape. And, um, but it still was a surprise, you know, I mean, we got a phone call on a Friday and he was, he passed away by a Sunday. So it was very fast. And, um, I, I don't know that I, I would like to, I, I think back then I said, well, this is my catharsis. This is my way of getting through this. And, but I don't know that it was, I don't know that I really ever got through it until probably four or five years ago when I started going to counseling and mm-hmm. dealing with some depression issues and things that I, I walked through Yeah, that yeah. I really dealt with the grief of losing my father. Right. Actually, we just talked to an artist yeah, recently. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I um, yeah, we were talking with um, Katie Gustafson, who is an oh. artist in the Nashville area, who specifically does counseling with artists. That's sort of her main thing. Um, so we had an interesting conversation about that and about artists dealing with um, not just grief and problems, but also rejection and depression and things like that. So yeah. it's interesting yeah, you mention that. Well, and you know, the thing too, I mean, <laughs> the artistic mind is such a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? And and yeah. I'm so grateful to have that right-brained artistic mind. My daughter who is sitting here next to me, she is, my wife is artistic too and right-brained. So my daughter, bless her heart, she is just doomed to be creative. <laughs> and and it's a blessing and it's a curse. And if you, if you read anything about any person 
you know, from Michelangelo to Van Gogh to um, any musical person, think of most of them are tortured souls. It's just you're constantly at battle with your emotions. And mm. I wish I weren't an emotional person, but I am. Yeah. And I've come to grips with that now at 45. I'm like, look, what you see is what you get. If you don't yeah. like it, then you know yeah. you don't have to pay attention. But but it is what makes me good at what I do. I believe. I think I think I can connect with people because of the heart that God gave me. Whereas a left brain person who just gets up and gives a speech, they might be able to speak some words eloquently, but there may not be that connection there. So I, I've yeah. learned to kind of embrace it as part of who I am and part of what makes me, you know, a minister, I guess. I hope I'm a good minister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and some people need um, those who walk through the struggle uh, to share and uh, well, and honestly, in our grief, it, I was forced to share. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I was a musician uh-huh. and artist, so I understand the tension um, and it's, it's helped me guide others. It's, it's awful to have to go through sure. something, but it's often a catalyst for conversation with people that would normally not talk. So, <clears throat> right. uh, you know, and for an artist like you coming off a high, as you would say, a busyness high, not just a, a success high. Uh, to come into that time of your life, um, yeah, those can be devastating times because artists are often uh, loners at the same time as being extroverts because you're you're performing by trade. Yes. But if you're a songwriter or a singer or an artist, you spend a lot of time in a studio by yourselves, and then yes. you're off writing by yourself. So it's a weird tension. It is. It is. And I mean, I think that that's... I think that's part of it too. Like you, you want so much to be expressive and to share your, I hate to get all artsy, but I mean, to share your art and to share your gift and, and your message with everyone. But in the same respect, it's like, there is a, there is a recoil that happens with me. And it always has, um, where I, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, that's enough. You've taken enough of me. I need to pull back in. I need to, I need to protect myself because I don't want to get, and I don't know where that comes from. Um, I've just always been that way, I guess. Um, and even my wife, sometimes she'll have to remind me now you're going into a public place. You need to open up. You need, and I, and I, I, it's, I'm, I'm always very like once I'm there, like within like 35, 45 minutes of being there, I'm I'm the life of the party, (laughs) Mr. Funny, but I definitely am on the defense when I I walk in the door. And I, and a part of it is just because, you know, if you ask me to sing you a song, I'm happy to do it. But boy, you put me in a social setting, it's going to take me a few minutes to really like, oh, and, and I think it's just a defendantism. I'm just so afraid of being vulnerable sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, I tried to do my homework when talking to people. And the interesting thing is, I mean, there's a lot of information on you out there. Um, none of it negative, I'm sure. just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's probably some negative too, but what, what am I going to do about that? You know, not well, everybody loves you. That's reality, right? <laughs> Um, yep. pastors deal with that all the time, but, um, sure they do the uh, worst. Yeah. Being, uh, the church people can be the worst sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and that goes for a musical artist too. You walk into a door of, of a hundred and something churches in a year guaranteed. Not all of them even want drums and hear a rock band, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, yeah. What did you expect? <laughs> yep. Oh, I dealt, sure. I dealt with that in the early '90s, um, especially when Vineyard Music really took off with Brian Dirksen and Light the Fire Again and all those songs in the early '90s that came out. Now, what I was going to ask you though is, you've been put on the spot, even on the stage. I remember um, watching one of the videos with um, Benny Hinn Ministries, and yes. they forced you to do a song you didn't know. 
<laughs> I that could, happened a lot. I that could was just see, one documented time. Oh, I could see the tension of, okay, yes, I'm a singer. Yes, I'm artsy. Yes, I can do things on the fly, but come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did, well, how, how did that really make you feel? <laughs> well, either you know something or you don't. And I think for me that that's this one of the hardest things for me is is being is getting on a stage and singing music that I'm not familiar with. I do not enjoy that at all. Mm-hmm. Some people thrive on it. Some people are like, oh, you know, it's so great. I can. I can get up there and it's just a challenge and I, I'm not that way. Like if I'm insecure about what I'm singing, then I'm miserable. And, yeah. you know, I traveled with Benny for three years, Pastor Hen, whatever yeah. you want to call him. Yep. And he's a very, he's, he's everything you can imagine. He's eccentric. He's odd. He's wonderful. He's kind. He's mm-hmm. crazy. He's, he's everything, you know, yeah. Yeah. but the one thing that he is, is not is a pushover and he's not going to take no for an answer. And yeah. so, you know, when you when he asks you to sing something, and I do have a pretty vast knowledge of music, like growing up in the church, all of these hymns, mm-hmm. I think he was often surprised at the things that I did know. And so he would say, oh, you know this one. And I think it was, um, uh, was it It Took a Miracle? Was that the song that he wanted me to sing? Uh, or I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the title. Something like it. that. It was God, um, God For Us, or uh, I even forget the title, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know it, obviously. And, yeah. Um, and he just, he, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so I think he and his, you know, his sidekick, Jim Sonero ended up singing the entire thing. And yeah. I just, every once in a while would chime in on a, on a word, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was just, I was watching the interplay and I was specifically, again, I, I was watching it with a, with a greater lens. Cause I knew I was going to talk to you. Um, yeah. you know, so I was more analyzing it than other people would, but it was interesting to see your reaction was first come on man then it was hey man i'll do what i need to do and then it was you know what maybe i don't need to do this (laughs) like you've got two guys on the stage who know the song you sing it it was just funny to see but i I thought that was an interesting tension because here you are presented in front of i don't know how many people were there probably a few thousand Uh and, and you're singing about the lord and there's a tension there um, yeah, you know, songwriters feel the same way. They're like, "Did I write this already? Has someone else written this? Like, is this yeah. going to be any good? Um, yeah, why do this in the first place?" And that's sort of where I was going with it. Um, I mean, I wasn't saying that to make a joke because I think you actually responded quite well considering the oh. circumstances. But I, I totally get what you're saying, though. I mean, I definitely have those moments where you know you pour your heart and soul into something, even with this record you know, this finished product, it's like you put it out there and you just want everybody to embrace it and it just be played on a radio station. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a new day for Christian radio. It's not the Avalon days. It's not the glory days of, of Avalon. And so yeah. it's, it takes a lot of work to get songs in front of people and for people to hear it. And, and so I've definitely over the last, especially the last few days sat around and just said, okay, is this worth it? Is this worth the effort that I'm putting into it? Mm-hmm. Am I doing this for the right reasons? you know yeah but, well but, and well yeah. Let, let me add to that then because um that was leading into somewhere else i wanted to go it isn't the avalon days that wasn't the crux of of really where i wanted to go um i mean yes it was important people would recognize you because of it but how did it make you feel having to do a release in 2016 as the jody who everyone's going to know from the 90s and 2000s um you know, was it was it fearful? Or was it exciting to come out with stuff? Because your the music that I heard on the album and I listened to it uh, was not 
what everyone else is doing right now, which is try to rock it up, add banjos, be, you know, like the, the Crowder-esque type sound, um, or, or go the worship route, which is yeah. modern worship of, you know, Hillsong. Um, you, you were like definitely uh, fun rock gospel, gospel-centered still, even from the yeah. first track. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't be anything other than what I am. You know, I, I guess that's my main thing. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I just, I think I spent so many years, even with Avalon, and I don't mean this negatively, please understand mm-hmm. Avalon was an amazing experience and it was a God-given experience. And there's no question that there were so many things that I learned through that process. But even from day one, we were definitely managed and handled. You mm-hmm. know, we were told kind of what we were going to sound like. Um, you know, we were produced and manipulated to be a certain thing. And even my wife and I were talking today about how, you know, there was this whole campaign when Avalon's second record came out that, you know, the record company wanted us to appear larger than life. Even if we weren't selling what we what we should be selling, they wanted it to seem like we were a multi-platinum artist. And yeah. so they had money and budgets and they threw it at, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I never felt quite like I was ever myself, you know. I always felt like I was trying to be somebody else. And with this record, you know, I, I promised God and I promised myself that I would, at its core, it would be my heart and it would be the things that I felt like I needed to say and I needed to express because I didn't want to get up there and sing these songs and not mean every single word of every song. Mm-hmm. And I can't say there's not a song on there that 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 doesn't mean something to me, you right. know, and that's a big deal. And so, I, you know, I love David Crowder. I love the worship experience. I'm a huge Bethel music fan. Like, mm-hmm. I love Bethel. And I think probably because they're more musical and more, I don't know, they, they just seem to have catchier melodies and seems like there's more musicality in there and they're not just repeating the same thing over and over and over again you oh, know definitely yes um so i tend to gravitate more towards that I, I, i'm not a big fan of worship for worship's sake i, I don't like that i mm-hmm. think if you're going to make a worship record then make it from the abundance of your heart where 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 the spirit of god's flowing out don't make a worship record because you know, it's the hip, trendy thing to do, and every other church is doing it. You know, right. that's that's not a good reason. And I feel I feel like that there's sincerity there, but I do think that that is the motivating factor for a lot of people. And so, yeah, and, um, and that can definitely be even a criticism in Canada because I find that Canadians. I'm I mean, I'm my worst critic. Um, we we tend to be behind the U.S. and we want to look like the U.S. and act like the U.S. and sound like the U.S. But we're always a little bit behind. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't <Yeah>. be <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny right because there is a certain signature sound that you can go for that will definitely get you on ccm radio you know sure. follow the formula three and a half minutes have your chorus hit within 45 seconds like there's a lot of that out there um and we've talked to a lot of artists that most of the artists we've talked to i would say almost all uh don't even desire that they're not even thinking radio they're not no like and the, I, those days yeah, are I different with now. you yeah. And I think that, I mean, if you spoke to David Crowder, I know David, he was on, he was on EMI when we were on EMI together and I had the chance to meet. He's an extremely sincere and kind guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the funny thing about David is if you, if you saw him in a dark alley, you would run the other way, but he is the, <laughs> he is the most kind and gentle person you would ever meet. And he's sincere. Yeah. And I'm just using his example. I know T- Chris Tomlin, you know, Chris Tomlin is one of the kindest, most sincere people you'd ever want to meet, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I know these people and I know their hearts. I just think, you know, 
like even for me trying to get my songs played on radio right now, it's a challenge because there's there's a thousand artists putting out a thousand different songs and there's literally five spots a month yeah. for different songs. And so I have to change my thinking. I have to get to the place where I'm like, this isn't about that. That's mm-hmm. not why I made this record. And it's really not. I yeah. didn't set out to make this record to be Avalon again or to be Jody McBrayer again. Yeah. Um, I set out this record to make this record because it was a catharsis for me. It was a chance for me to communicate where I've been the last 10 years and what kind of work God has done in my life. And, mm-hmm. um, and in turn, hopefully share some of those scars and encourage the people that hear it. Now, do I want more people to hear it? Of course. Yeah. And if I could get it on radio, that'd be awesome, but I'm not going to go and beg, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have to trust that God is going to open the ears of the people that need to hear it. And he's going to let his will unfold. So, yeah. well, and, and you and I both talked about being honest here. Let's be yeah. honest for a second. Uh, a lot of, not all, but a lot of Christian radio isn't really about the content after all. It's, no. a, it's about a sound and it's about making people yeah. feel good on the way home on their drive, right? Oh, so, absolutely. But it's always been that way. I mean, it was that way when I was in Avalon, yeah. you know? And that's part of why Avalon was so successful because we had that that exciting sound, you know, that pop, that pop fun sound that, that worked. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm... I mean, we can talk about your new album because, I mean, I'm excited for it. I think it's awesome. I think um, it, it speaks a lot to who you are from what, I, even what I remember. It's like, okay, good. This is the Jody I was expecting to hear, and I'm glad. I didn't want to find out, you know, even like like little bits of rap and like adding things in, into your music that are not you. No, um, it's, I, it is all me. And there were some things, too, that, you know, when we were in the process of making the record, there were just some things that kind of came to fruition, you know, and I, I just, I was like, no, I'm going to have to put a stop to that. That is not, that's not who I am and who I want to be. And yeah. not a lot, but just, you know, because you still have, when you have production and you have people around you that are helping you make a record, they have opinions as to how things should be. And it was never a disrespectful thing. It was just like, no, yeah. l- less is more here. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. And I, I even like your title track uh, name, Good to Be Home. Oh, thank you. Well, that one was on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured so. Um, was there was there a specific significance to the title "Keep Breathing"? Oh my goodness! Well, this is going to take a minute. Do That's I have okay. a minute? That's okay. Okay. Um, well, yes. I, you know, "Keep Breathing" was. Um, I hate to say mantra because that's probably not a very Christian term, but it was. It was. It was sort of my. Um, it was my catchphrase for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things kind of led up to my departure from Avalon, uh, obviously getting diagnosed with heart disease and yes. my marriage being on the brink. And um, my wife was a creative director at Providence Sony, and um, I was on the road traveling full time with Avalon. We had just had my daughter. She was one year old at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were just two ships passing in the night and life was chaos. And then all of a sudden I get sick and I'm not feeling well. And um, it was difficult for me to travel and to do the things that I was supposed to do. And I don't know, one thing led to another and we reached a point where we were like, look, you know, you got to make a decision here. What What's most important to you? And I had counselors and my doctor telling me to, cho- to choose because my, my heart doctor was convinced that my schedule was going to kill me. Right. And um, so, you know, my wife and I both chose to leave the music industry behind and to work on our family and our marriage and our health. And, mm-hmm. um, and so she, I left Avalon and six, five months later, she left uh, Sony. And 
we both came home. She came home to raise my daughter, and I took a job working behind a desk, yeah. and had just convinced myself that it was over. You know that 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 my period of time in ministry and in music was done. Right. And uh, and that was difficult for me. I didn't enjoy that. I mean, the thought of that was depressing and sad. But but in the same respect, I was grateful for the time that I had had, and mm-hmm. um, grateful that God you know saved me and saved my marriage and i was able to be home with my daughter because oh, uh, you know my man. daughter didn't know me. she didn't know the travel in me only until the last couple of years and all of a sudden she's like where's my dad going all the time? Yeah. you know because she thought i was home all the time um yeah but cut to three years ago um after just you know being depressed at working in a corporate job and um and asking to be let go from that corporate job because of it and then trying to get back into music again and not knowing what to do and really having doors kind of slammed in my face, not in a bad way, but just people basically saying, you know, we're not interested anymore. Or mm-hmm. People, not not in a bad way, but just people like, you know, your time has come and gone. Right. Uh, let's make room for some other people. And, you know, at the time it, it was extremely depressing for me and it got to the point to where I felt pointless and useless. Um, I felt sick and tired and isolated and alone. And I, mm-hmm. I, I slumped into depression and I went to a doctor and to a psychologist, a clinical psychologist. And, um, within a couple of months was diagnosed with clinical depression, mm-hmm. which I know in and of itself has a stigma as far as Christianity is concerned, but right. it is a real thing. It's not something that I asked for and it yep. was there. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think it just was the sum of all of the challenges and obstacles and difficulties not just the, the difficulties of leaving Avalon and not and not being in a Christian or doing music anymore but it was everything all kind of rolled into one and it just came to a header and yeah. it was more than I could handle right and uh, it, it did reach a very dark point for me where I um, even contemplated whether or not I should continue living mm. um, and I remember staring. I, I remember going down to the ocean one night. We were at the beach, and I went down to the ocean and stared at the water, and just thought, "Gosh, if I just kept walking, life would be so much better for everybody." You know, I have a great life insurance policy, so my wife and my daughter would be taken care of, and you know, all of you know, my problems would go away, yeah. and all that. Um, and I don't think that's th- an unusual um, occurrence. I think that happens a lot, lot more than people let on. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, and I don't mind saying it, and I don't care if people think it's a sign of weakness. For me, I feel like it's a sign of strength for me to admit that that happened. Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm very grateful that, you know, I believe that there was an angel watching over me that night, and um, he or she or it guided me back up to the house and didn't let me do that. And it was at that point that I did, I, I started pursuing you know, this clinical psychologist. And anyway, long story short, his, his thing to me was like, Jody, your only responsibility right now, and I don't care what anybody else says, your only responsibility is to keep breathing. Can you do that for me? Can you keep breathing? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, sure. He said, that's, let's, let's break it down to the most simple thing possible. You have to keep breathing every day. You wake up every morning and keep breathing. Yeah. And he would say it over and over again. And um, I remember waking up those first couple of months um, and I would think, okay, I've got breath in my lungs. I can keep breathing. God bless me with that. And then I would step out of bed and I'd be like, okay, the floor is there and I can feel it and I can walk. And then I would walk in the kitchen and I'd see my daughter in there fixing breakfast or, 
you know, getting ready for school. And I'd be like, okay, and I've got my daughter. And then I'd see my wife and I'd be like, and I've got my wife. And it was, it was literally a step-by-step process like that for several months. Um, and I took medication. I don't take it anymore, but I did for a while. And, you know, all I can tell you is at some point the light came back on and I realized that there was a purpose and, um, that God hadn't let go of me and that he was still there. Man, that's such a great conversation, and I can't wait to share the rest of it, Joe. Uh, we we delve into and and um, sort of land from uh, him talking about the struggles, and also talk about some of the fun part of the music industry and where he's headed now. I mean, he's done some interesting things, but also um, you know he's hitting the tour bus again, and he's back on top, um, so to speak, and um, doing music because he loves it. And um, he's got his new record out, um, and I we even talk about that. You know, what's a record these days? Right. Um, we we actually sneak in a conversation about the um, the reality of the ninety nine cent download versus buying an album and all that kind of stuff too. Um, and actually, I just found out that he was on a tour bus with Mark Lowry and um, Kanan's Voice, uh, which is a new endeavor that he's on. Um, and it's really entertaining to actually watch him go along with these folks and uh, sing some live stuff on uh, on Facebook and videos that are being shared by Mark and just the, how much of a goofball he actually is. So uh, you got to stay tuned for the rest of the interview that's coming shortly. Yeah, I I really resonated with some of the stuff he shared about having to turn it on, you know, as an artist that, you know, when you're out in front of people and you're performing, sometimes there's kind of a switch you know, from being the introvert, which a lot of artists are, believe it or not, there's they really are introverted. They recharge by themselves, uh, and then you know, you realizing, and his wife tells him, "Hey, you're gonna have to turn it on," uh, and then he kind of becomes a different person. And I really relate to that because my wife says similar things about me, and um, I don't know if I've ever shared. You know, I worked on a cruise ship. You know that, but I don't know that the audience knows that I worked mm-hmm. on a cruise ship for a couple of years. That's where I met my wife. And we would have these ridiculous theme nights, you know, um, Caribbean night. And I would put on this awful, first of all, they were white pants. And by the, and guys, if you're going to wear white pants, don't wear, don't wear colored underwear. Um, so that's just kind of a side note. It's just a bonus, just a bonus bit of information. There. <laughs> I wasn't but, uh, expecting you to say that, number one. And number two, I didn't know you met your wife on the cruise ship. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that? No, oh, I did not. Oh, well, yeah. So, yeah, Vanessa and I met on the cruise ship. Um, that's another, a story for another time. Great story. Thank you. Um, but then but then I had this Barry Manilow Copacabana oh, no. kind of shirt, you know, the frills <laughs> and all the colors and stuff cut down my chest almost to my belly button, you know. <laughs> and uh, And so I would have to go out and I would teach people dances and I would shimmy and, you know, all this ridiculous stuff to get people to kind of participate and make it fun. And I can tell you that the evening, it was always on Wednesday night, I could tell you that Wednesday after dinner, I would go down to my cabin and think, what can I do to get out of this? Because <laughs> I just don't want to go up there and do that. But then I'd go out there and I would be ridiculous and it always ended with me getting thrown in the pool. And mm-hmm. that, that's just the way that it ended. Um, but it made me think of you know what Jody's talking about, about getting in front of people and having to turn it on because... Um, in many ways, you are kind of a commodity as an artist, and you need to perform. 
And uh, yeah. that's that's kind of sobering. And but I really appreciate him sharing that in such an honest way. And mm-hmm. frankly, it just makes me want to go back and listen to the album again, because I think there's some stuff there that I missed the first time. You know, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I want to say it's nice to actually get to talk to you, Dan. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we've done a ton of interviews, you know, we're still releasing the CMS Northwest interviews. I think we still have four or five to release. Yeah. So we don't get to do the full episode and, and have the opportunity to chat with each other. And we just push them out there. Yeah. Um, so it's I'm glad that we get to chat. I hope you guys enjoy us talking. I know that sounds kind of a little sick right there, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think it's it's. You know, banter is important. I think every uh, show, television show, radio show, whatever it is, uh, it always seems better with two people. There's just something about having a back and forth, uh, you know, even going back to Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon way back in those days. Ed, what did he do most of the time? He laughed at Johnny. Didn't really say a whole lot. Um, You know, there's always the the David Letterman um, scenario talking to, to Paul Schaefer, is it? Yeah. Well, another, you should know he's from Canada. Another Can- oh. Canadian, by the way. Yeah. 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 Well, it's great talking to you, Joe. And um, make sure you connect with us on social media, which is uh, Twitter at Frequency FM. And uh, we actually do have an Instagram account, which is Frequency.FM, D-O-T-F-M. And uh, Facebook, as always. And we're actually a lot more active on Facebook these days because that seems to be where people share things. And we are feeding our SoundCloud audio through that. Um, but you can connect with us directly on SoundCloud because they have their own social network there. So if you're a SoundCloud user, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we listen to you. We re- react to every comment as much as we can and email, uh, which is uh, frequency.fm at gmail.com. <laughs>